Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We bless your name. We thank you that we can come sing your praises. We thank you that you are our Father, that you have made us heirs with Christ. But it's amazing to us, the grace that you give. Father, speak to our hearts by your Spirit. Change us and make us more like Christ, we ask. In the name of Jesus, it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be kind of concluding our study in Acts, and we're going to be looking uh, at the story of Paul's conversion. It's found principally in Acts chapter 9. And so we'll look at that in just a few moments. The title of the sermon is, When God Calls Your Name. And arguably, Paul is the most significant convert of Christian history. We're talking about a guy whose sole purpose was to exterminate, to completely destroy Christianity. As we discuss Paul, I just want to kind of give you a little announcement here too. I really want to encourage you to use social media to invite people the next two weeks. Email, uh, whatever you have, voicemail, email, Twitter, Facebook. Use those accounts for the purpose of the gospel. You know, there's a lot of negative things that happen, quite frankly, with social media today. But here's a chance to use it uh, for the glory of God. So I want to encourage you to invite people. Uh, maybe just send it out to the people in your contacts. Invite them and let them know. You can go to our website and download all the information if you'd like to. Uh, or you can just say, hey, Brandon Slay's coming on the 28th, 29th. Really want to encourage you to use that. So if you would commit to do that, uh, that would be a great way and an easy way for us to invite people and to hear uh, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Some of you maybe even uh, on our first Sunday in here, we put names on these crosses of people that we were praying for. And uh, maybe you did that or maybe you had someone in mind. This would be a great time to invite them. Well, when God calls your name, as we talk about the Apostle Paul here, uh, one of the strongest apologetic points for Christianity is the conversion of Paul. The conversion of Paul. And you might ask, now why is that? Why is that such a significant uh, act in the life of Christianity? Because you're talking about uh, potential and arguably the most zealous defender of Judaism. He believes so strongly in the Judaism of his fathers and the Judaism that he had been taught that he saw Christianity as an affront to his faith. He looked at it the way that we might look at bin Laden today and his radical, uh, as a radical Muslim or a radical Islam. And so, you know, as we look at him, we think that's so radical. That's the way that he looked at Christianity. And so he wanted to do like bin Laden tried to do to, to people in the United States. He wanted to stomp them out. And he was well on his way. And he was a very accredited, very well-known man in Judaism. Matter of fact, in Philippians chapter 3, the Bible says in verse 4, Paul is speaking himself, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's when, if you were a good Jewish boy, that's when you were circumcised. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, arguably uh, the most prestigious a tribe of, of Israel at the time, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, I'm well-educated. Uh, I'm at the professional top of the food chain, of the economic food chain and of the educational food chain, so to speak. 
as to the law, a Pharisee. So he was well-versed in the law to be a Pharisee. Uh, You had to memorize the Torah. So he memorized the first five books of the Bible. And he was looked to as an expert in regards to the Torah. He was looked to as one who was keeping the Judaism pure and faithful. And that was one of the primary objectives of the Pharisees. As to zeal, I was a persecutor. I was so zealous of the church as to the righteous under the law. I was blameless. But whatever I gained, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In 1994, I was working at Prestonwood Church, and we had a debate. I was directing a a ministry called Metro, and we had what we call the Great Debate. We had a guy named William Lane Craig, who's probably uh, the, the foremost authority in apologetics and defense of the faith of Christianity of anybody today. The man has three PhDs, just a brilliant man. Uh, ReasonableFaith.com is his website. Uh, just a brilliant man off the chart, written probably 30 or 40 books. And uh, we had him, him come, and then another guy named Dr. Keith Parsons, who at the time was the president, national president of the uh, Atheistic Association, which I didn't even really know existed. Uh, but apparently there are literally thousands of people uh, that are in that association, and he was also... Uh, head of the, he was the chairman of the philosophy department at the University of Houston. So uh, he was a vowed atheist, a very strong atheist, and debated people quite frequently. And uh, when they were debating, this topic came up of the Apostle Paul. And uh, when Dr. Craig asked him, he said, how do you explain uh, the conversion of the Apostle Paul? You're talking about a man who was not just vehemently against Christianity, but uh, it was his purpose, it was his zeal, it was his passion to destroy, to, to put to death, to imprison Christianity, to stomp it out. And all of a sudden, I mean, in a matter of days, he does a 180. He goes, how do you explain that? And we know from historical background, if you get outside of the Bible, we know the Apostle Paul existed. We know what his background was, even outside of the Bible. We know that these credentials that we're talking about were true that he was a strong Jew, that he was a Pharisee, that he was a religious leader. We know that he was amongst the Pharisees who killed and persecuted, killed Stephen back in chapter 7. And he was there guarding the clothes. He was a young man. We know that he studied under uh, Gamaliel, who was regarded as the greatest Jewish teacher of his day. I mean, he went to the Harvard of, of school, so to speak. We know all these facts about him, and we know also that he converted to Christianity. That's outside of the Bible. That's historical fact, okay? So how do we explain that the guy who is kind of the model, kind of the up-and-coming star of Judaism, who sees it as his life's purpose to stomp out Christianity and had been doing so, matter of fact, he's so into this that he's traveled 120 miles to Damascus. He's left Jerusalem. He's, He's going 120 miles was a long way in that day, okay? For today, it takes us about two hours, but you were either walking or at best, you might have been on horseback. Probably not, maybe on horseback. But you're talking about a long trip, and he's going to great lengths. And here's the Apostle Paul, and he converts to Christianity. How do you explain that? How do you explain his experience that, that he was converted, that he said he, he saw Christ? And Dr. Parsons said, well, that, there's a pretty reasonable explanation for that. He said, what is it? He goes, he had an epileptic seizure. What? He had an epileptic seizure. He had a seizure. He saw light. Sometimes when people have seizures, they see a light. And he probably just thought. I mean, he probably just got confused and dazed and thought he saw Jesus. 
And, and so that's what it was. He had an epileptic seizure. Now, the problem was there are a lot of people who had epileptic seizures because there's about another 15,000, 20,000 Jews who radically convert as well. All right, so there were a lot of epileptics back then uh, who just happened, just, had, just happened to have seizures and just happened to see Jesus, all right? But seriously, that's, that, he said, I, that's all he's got. He said, that's your answer. He goes, that's my answer. Because he has nowhere else to go. What else can you say? He knew Paul was a real person. He knew who Paul was, and he knew what happened to Paul. And so to me, it takes a lot. It, it almost takes more faith uh, to believe that Paul was an epileptic and just happened to have a seizure in which Jesus appeared in, in the light. That takes more faith to me right there. But that's, that's the only explanation you can give. You can't really explain his conversion. That's why this is one of the greatest apologetic pieces or arguments that you could have for the validity of Christianity. So uh, let's look one other chapter here in, in uh, Acts chapter 26, and then I'm going to give you a visual I'm going to kind of let you see the conversion of Paul, but I want, to, I want you to fully appreciate what's happening here. And I want you to fully appreciate uh, the significance of Paul being converted to the faith. In the Bible here in, uh, in uh, the book of Acts chapter 26, we see Paul telling the story, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but by the way, you know who the chief priest was at that time? Caiaphas. We know that from the New Testament. Caiaphas was the chief priest. Now, why is that important? Well, for a long time, people said, well, you know, a lot of those people, we don't have any evidence. Like Caiaphas, nobody's ever seen a Caiaphas before. Uh, we don't know about that. Well, you know what happened in 1990? In 1990, Caiaphas ossuary was discovered. Now, ossuary was, if you were a wealthy Jew, and really even Romans sometimes did this, but particularly Jews for a couple of years did this. If you were a wealthy Jew, you would have your bones put in, in basically a, for lack of a better term, a hermetically sealed box. And uh, it was believed that when the resurrection come that you would be more ready to go to some, some degree. So uh, this was the time, and say so they found one with Caiaphas and with his inscription with his title on it. So it was just another proof, and we had gone how many years? Almost over 1,900 years, people said, where's this Caiaphas guy? We don't see him anywhere else other than the Bible. In 1990, they find his ossuary. That's free. Uh, continuing here, the Bible says, so I went to Jerusalem, and I did this, and I, and I cast my vote uh, in, the, in the second part of verse 10, that some were put to death as I cast my vote against them, because he was a Pharisee, and he called them guilty as part of the court. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. He forced them by beating them and by torturing them in a raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities, as we mentioned earlier. And in, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus, 120 miles away, one of these foreign cities, with the authority and the commission of the chief priests of Caiaphas. At midday, of, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven on the uh, brighter than the sun that shone around me, that those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, what is a goat? I remember hearing that as a kid. I thought he was talking about kicking against the goats. Kick against the goats. Now, what is a goat? A goat is a long, basically, it's a long, sharp stick. Sometimes it was metal. Sometimes it was made out of wood. Often it was made out of metal. And it'd have a little hook over here. Uh, that particularly with oxen, that they would use it. 
and they would, if the oxen got, out, got off line, they would goad him. And what they'd go, they basically they'd kind of hit him this way so that he would stay straight, so he'd go the direction. And if he continued, they would goad him hard. They'd stick him with that stick. They'd poke it. And it'd be like getting a stick in your side. And he said, it's kind of hard to kick against the goads. Now, this is a proverb, basically. This would have been an expression they use quite frequently. And what he's saying is, you are going against God's will. Do you not see it? Do you not see it? And, and he continues here, and the Bible says, And I said, Who are you, Lord? Notice that he says, Who are you, Lord? He kind of knows. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Ananias, as we'll see in Scripture, goes on to baptize Paul. And you see uh, the remarkable transformation that happens, the divine calling of God. And really the truth of it is, is Paul, this was so big, and again, it's, it's difficult for us today in Flower Mountain, Texas, uh, in 2014 to appreciate what happens, but Paul had some huge obstacles to overcome. Uh, number one, we talked about his life's purpose, what he's been trying to accomplish, and this is the antithesis of what he's been trying to accomplish Number two, as a Jew, a good Jew, uh, one of the principal important issues is the Sabbath, and that the Sabbath is on Saturday, and that you keep the Sabbath. But Christians are now celebrating the worship. They have worship on Sunday, so they've moved the Sabbath, the most holy of days, one of the most holy, uh, one of the most holy ordinances or the holy functions of Judaism. The sacrificial system fulfilled and is no longer necessary. What is the most important day on the Jewish calendar from a faith perspective? It's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's where the lamb, the unblemished lamb, is offered as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But now this is not necessary if you're a Christian because Christ has been that sacrificial lamb. So Paul is no longer going to be supporting or participating or advocating or believing in the sacrificial system, which is the heart of the Jewish faith. It is the mechanism of which they see as how God forgives sin. No longer are they, is he bound by the Mosaic law. I mentioned to you earlier, as a Pharisee and as a pupil of, of Gamaliel, he would have memorized the Torah. He would have memorized the Mosaic law. And now he is not bound by it. That is huge. It, now he believes in a resurrection that can occur before. Jews believe there'll be one resurrection one day, and that's when everyone is judged. But there is no resurrection before that. Now Paul must confess, and he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, that he believes in the power of the resurrection, and it is the power of our salvation. And then last but not least, if there wasn't anything else, if there was just this, this is huge and significant. If you were a Jew, the one thing, as a Jew that you believed was that there was one God, Yahweh God, and that he would and could never be a man. And now here's Jesus, who has come as God in the flesh, and as man. He's come and did. He has come to earth in the form of Jesus, the flesh. It's God in the flesh. That is blasphemous. That's why they killed Stephen. That's why they killed so many. And now Paul believes these five major points, these five major 
obstacles very, very significant. Why is Paul so important? What happens with Paul? Well, you know. First of all, Paul writes half of the New Testament. Half of the New Testament, half of what we have today, if, in, as far as numerical books, were written by the Apostle Paul. So we are here tonight benefiting from writings of the Apostle Paul. Number two, Paul ties the Old Testament to the New Testament in his writings. He ties and he lets us see how Jesus is the sacrificial atonement. And he, sees how, and he lets us see how the foreshadowed of the ultimate sacrifice that would come. As we mentioned earlier, he, it's the, arguably the greatest conversion in church history. And then lastly, the Gentiles will hear and receive the gospel before, because of Paul. Matter of fact, you heard him say it right there. He is sending Paul out to the world, to the Gentiles. Up to this point, they really have just been principally, there have been a few Gentiles that have come, but to the Jews. And now Paul, matter of fact, how many of us are in, were born Jews in here? Okay, we, got, we ought to say thank you, Paul, okay? God used Paul to send that message out. And now we are here today uh, in large part because of men like Paul in early church Christianity that spread the faith. So Paul is a, one of the most important figures of all the Bible and certainly of the New Testament. Now let's look at our text briefly. We had a chance to see it, and let's briefly look at it for a moment. Uh, and we saw earlier that he was still breathing the threats in chapter 9. If you want to turn with me there, he's headed to Damascus. He's there. He has the experience with Christ. And Jesus said, I'm, this is Jesus who I'm persecute, you're persecuting. And we pick up here in verse 6 of chapter 9. And Jesus says, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Then the men who were traveling with him were speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So they heard, they heard a voice, but they didn't see Jesus. You know, it's just like us. A lot of times we hear, but we don't receive. So they hear it, but they don't see it. They don't know who it is. They don't know where it's coming from. But this message was for Paul. They know something definitely is happening because all of a sudden the man's blind. They've heard a voice. They've seen a light, and all of a sudden, he's blind. And the men who were traveling with are speechless. And the Bible says in verse 8, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes, his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was there without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, what do you think Paul is doing during this time? What is he doing while he's blind? He's not eating, not drinking. The Bible tells us he's praying. He's praying and he's reconsidering. We're talking about a man who memorized uh, much of the Old Testament and he's going back through everything that he's learned and he's wondering, how did I miss this? And he's starting to put the pieces together of the prophecies and here he is and he's blind and he's, and he's fasting and he's hearing God. He's listening. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Not the Ananias that we studied back in chapter 4 who lied and was killed. He's, he's gone. Uh, this is a different Ananias. You know, it's a good question. Uh, what, what does your name mean? What are you going to do with your name? This Ananias uh, is one who definitely takes a risk. matter of fact, there's a good chance that Ananias is, is one of the principal church leaders there in Damascus. And Saul is on his way to get him. This is one of the men that 
he certainly would have been looking for Ananias. And Ananias probably knows that. And so Ananias receives the vision from the Lord, and he says, Ananias, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street, call straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. So again, what is Paul doing during these three days? He's praying. He's seeking God. He's seeking the heart of God. And he has seen it. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming him and laid his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. <coughs> and here he has the authority from the chief priest to, blind, to bind all who call you by name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, as we spoke of earlier, and kings. We know that he goes before King Agrippa and Caesar. So he will testify and give testimony of the gospel before the kings as well as, as, well as the, the Jews and the Gentiles. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road uh, by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, then he rose and he was baptized. And by the way, that was a public, just like we saw baptism tonight, it was a public identification of his faith. Everybody would have known that. Uh, it wasn't something they did in private. It was something that they would do in public. And taking food, he was strengthened. Here's the story of the Apostle Paul. Here's the story of one who is radically changed, and through one man, we see history being changed by his conversion. Now, uh, again, as we look at this story, I think there are a couple things that we ought to consider. Uh, one of the things, I think, to bear in mind is here's a man named Ananias who has been running from Paul and who's been serving Christ and who's asked to go against common sense. I mean, here's the guy who's coming. It's like saying, hey, go over there and see Saddam Hussein and tell him I said hi. Matter of fact, he's going to go, go take, him, take him some food and drink. And uh, matter of fact, he's, uh, go over to his house and invite him in. I mean, it's, it's a radical statement that's being made here. It's a radical request that God is making, but he does it. And we see what happens because of his faithfulness and because of this charge. Saul will go and be a witness, be the primary spokesman, the preacher to the Gentiles. Now, we also see something else interesting happen. We see that Saul's name is changed to Paul. It's not actually changed to Paul. When he was born, Saul actually uh, was, his father was, a, their parents were Jews, but his father was a Roman citizen. So if you were a Jew, the name Saul, uh, remember the first king of Israel was named Saul, and that name means one who is honored, uh, one who is desired, one who's favored, but his Latin name, his Roman name, that he would never have used was one of Paul. Paul, what does Paul mean? It means small. It means humble. So he's gone from being, having a name meaning desired, favored, and honored. Now his name is small and humble. Matter of fact, 
uh, as you read through the scripture, he refers to himself a couple times like this in the New Testament. He said, I saw being the least of the apostles. This is a pun on the name Paul. Uh, I being the least of them, I being the smallest of them. He's showing a sign of humility. And from this point on, he'll go principally by the name Paul. It's not a new name. It's the name that he adopts that he probably never wanted anybody to hear. But you, you know, if you were like me, maybe you had a nickname growing up that you didn't want people to call you. And I would tell you what it is right now, but my son's here, and then he'll call me that all the time. But nevertheless, um, we all had a nickname at some point where we didn't like. And this would have been the one he didn't like. But now he's so radically converted that he goes by the name Paul because Christ has come into his life and changed him. So what does that mean for you and I today? What are the applications of Acts chapter 9 of the conversion of the Apostle Paul for us today? Well, there are a few of them. And I want you to follow with me. Number one, as we look at this story in Acts chapter 9, we see that God speaks during prayer. When did God hear from uh, Paul? I mean, when did Paul hear from God? When he was praying. When did Ananias hear from God? When he was praying. One of the reasons we don't experience and hear from God is because of our lack of prayer and because of our lack of listening in prayer. God speaks when we pray. And part of prayer is meditating and listening, being still and knowing that He is God. Number two, an encounter with God causes one to change directions. One of the, one of the signs of our salvation is that we're different. There's something different. Something changes. Salvation, as a matter of fact, you've heard the word for repentance. What does that mean? It means you're going one way and you turn around and you go the other way. Okay? That's what it means. And that's the picture of Saul, literally. He was going one direction, and God completely takes him the opposite direction. And so we see that an encounter with God, a real encounter with God, changes us. It changes direction in our life. Even after we've accepted Christ, when we have encounters with him, we, it changes us. The question is, are we open? Are we listening? Are we receiving when he speaks? The Spirit of God convicts us of our sin. Paul thinks what he's doing is right. He's zealous. He's trying to do what he thinks is right. But God convicts him. And, and he probably had several signs. I think the first sign, or one of the first signs he probably saw, was when he saw Stephen dying. And he sees how Stephen died. Stephen says, I see, behold, I see the Son of Man in heaven. He, he sees the glory of Christ. And he sees, you know what it, Stephen does? He asks for forgiveness for those who are stoning him. Remember what Jesus did? Jesus asked for forgiveness. He said, I commend my spirit into you, and I forget, forgive those, for they know not what they're doing. We see the same spirit in Stephen, and that had to resonate in Paul. Paul must have went, what on earth? Next, number five, or number four, not everyone hears God speak when he speaks. Not everyone hears. Not everybody receives it. Sometimes we hear the voice, or excuse me, the words that are read, just like those men did that were with Paul. But not everybody receives it. Not everybody is willing to believe it. Here's the deal with Christianity, with faith. Uh, matter of fact, my friend Matt Jones is here today, and uh, tonight, whatever time it is. And I remember talking to you two, three years ago. And uh, I remember us having this discussion because Matt at the time was an agnostic. And um, he said, you know, I've got, there, there, there are things that I don't understand. There's questions that I still need answered. And we talked about that, and he read through a lot of material and it came to a place, he said, you know, 
and we both talked about this. He said, you know, at some point, I've just got to make a decision whether I'm going to believe or not, whether I'm going to accept the truth that's been given to me, the facts I'm given to. And, and that's kind of where we are. Sometimes we just want, we want everything perfect, and we, want, we just want sign after sign after sign. We're like Gideon, okay? Make the fleece wet, okay? Make it dry, okay? Give it to me in purple. I mean, you know what I mean? We just keep on... And, you know, it's like, we're like a child. You know, how, how does that work? Uh, I'd like some raisin bran. I'd like more. I'd like some sugar on it. I've changed my mind. Uh, can you take the raisins out? Can you take the bran out? You know what I mean? And we, we start to treat God, we start to act like a child at some point. Instead of saying, God, okay, I'm going to go with your word. And, and though it doesn't make sense to me, though I don't understand, I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I've said this many times before, but one of the principal reasons that we can know that the God of the Bible is the true God is because he doesn't do things that we would do. Because he responds and speaks and acts differently than we would. If he simply always did what we wanted him to do and responded just like we would, that would be proof that he was simply a projection of our mind. We need a God who makes us struggle who, just like a relationship that, that, that confronts us, that convicts us, that disturbs us, that bothers us, it sometimes says things that, I don't like that. That's how we know that it's true. If he always said what you wanted to hear, then he would just be an idol that you've made up in your mind. So the next time you come to passage, you go, I, just, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't get that. I don't think that's right. That's right because you're not God. And you're the opposite of God. And things should bother you because we are sinful, depraved human beings who see life through our little, inf- just little pea-sized brains looking at the magnitude of a holy God. So there are going to be things that sometimes disturb us, sometimes bother us, sometimes that solicit big questions. And that's one of the reasons we can know that it's really God and not just us making up things in our own imagination. Following Christ means sometimes standing alone, and that's exactly what happened to Saul. Saul finds himself alone those three days. You notice those guys, they're gone. (laughs) You you saw this vision, you're blind, and you're not sure you want to do this anymore, and they're gone. And he finds himself alone and in the dark. Ever been there? Alone and in the dark with nothing to do but pray. I know some of you, as I look over here, some of you, I've gone and visited you in the hospital when you've been sitting there and not able to do anything. And you're forced to think and pray and evaluate. And that's exactly what happens. And every one of us at some point in our life are put in that situation, aren't we? And if, if not, you're still a little young. Okay, it's coming. God bless you. Welcome to Rock Point. One man's faithfulness makes a difference. Paul's faithfulness makes a difference to mankind. You and I are here because of a man like Paul who takes the gospel to the world, to the Gentiles. Regardless, in spite of his education, in spite of his position, in spite of his influence, in spite of his monetary value, he gives it all up for Christ to take the message to the Gentiles. By the way, I bet when he was blind, he was thinking about this. You know, in the Abrahamic covenant, he said that Israel, that we would be a light to the nations. We would be a blessing to all nations. And here he is, going to the Gentiles. That hadn't happened yet. 
Again, periodically, there are Gentiles here and there. But now, that covenant is being fulfilled. It will be fulfilled by Paul's ministry as he begins the flame. And lastly, revelation from God is sometimes sudden and sometimes gradual. Sometimes sudden and sometimes gradual. When we look at Paul, we think, uh, boy, that was sudden, that was fast. And sometimes people accept Christ just like that. They hear the message, they, get, they accept Christ, and they're radically saved, and that's it. But more often than not, there are signs. Remember when I read to you, Paul, Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? You know what that tells me? Jesus was giving little nudges. Maybe with Stephen. Maybe as he saw Christians being persecuted. Maybe as he heard those teachings. And he was getting little signs. But you know what? You know how we respond typically when we're convicted by something? Here's how we do it. Either we get more strongly ingrained in what we want, or we go, that's right. We have to humble ourselves. And Paul's been out. I mean, he's been out hitting it hard. He's been hitting the road. He's driven. I mean, just on this trip, he's got 120 miles to, you know, to imprison some folks. I mean, he's the man. And that's a lot to give up. I mean, I've been working hard for the money, buddy. And God said, why do you keep... Isn't it hard to kick against the goat? Don't you see my direction? And then he has this experience. So, more often than not, there are little signs when we look back that God has been speaking. And then there's this moment. Sometimes we call it a crisis of belief. Become that place where you must make a decision. And Paul decides, I will listen. I will obey. He calls his name. Is God calling your name tonight? Is He calling your name to come and to know Him as Savior? Is He calling you to say, take another step in your faith, in your devotion, in your service? Is He calling your name? He is. The question is, are we listening? Back in the early 1900s, and really even before that, they used to have something called ice houses. As a matter of fact, if you saw the movie Frozen, which if you have children, everybody's seen it. Uh, all of those, all of you, if, you if you haven't seen it, then you don't have kids, I guess. But uh, Frozen, I've, I've been blessed to see it twice already. Uh, and, you know, one of the figures in there, he's, he, he, he's an ice, basically he's an ice salesman, okay? He, like, goes and they cut out these big chunks of ice and then they store them and they'd put them in ice houses. And it would be a house that would have, wouldn't have no windows and uh, it would kind of, they would seal it up as much as they could and they would stack all the ice. They would typically put sawdust on it as well so they wouldn't all stick together. And they would stack them in this house and it would often, especially if you lived in the north, last well into the summer, you'd have this ice. And so, uh, and that, that really happened. And that happened really up through the early uh, 1900s. Uh, that was still a very popular way to do it. That's why most people did it. So you'd have these ice houses. There was this guy one time who uh, had a watch, uh, and, he, uh, and he lost it in the ice house. And he knew he'd lost it, but he couldn't find it. And they all went in there, and he had some of his friends went in there to look for it, and they just couldn't find it. They looked through the sawdust. They never could come up with it. Well, uh, they looked for a couple of days, and one of, the bo- one of the guys who worked there, his son, said, well, can I try? He said, okay. So he goes into that same ice house that they've all been into dozens and dozens of times looking for that watch. And in about five minutes, he comes out with a watch. And they said, how did you find that watch? There's been, a, there's been at least a dozen men who've gone through there time after time. We've spent hours looking for that watch in that ice house and couldn't find it. He said, what, how did you do that? And this is back when watches away had a little bit more noise. He said, well, I closed the door. 
laying down in the dark, and I just listened. And soon I heard a tick, 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 tick. And I just moved toward the tick as I could hear it. The Spirit of God is ticking tonight. Will you take a step toward Him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And Lord, as we come to your table tonight to receive the communion of the bread and of the cup that represents your body and your blood, that represents the blood of Christ that covers our sin, just as the Apostle Paul came to the faith that no longer would those sacrifices be required, but Jesus, you had fulfilled it once and for all. God, some of us maybe have hang-ups about things that we are unsure of or that bother us. God, I pray that we just take that step of faith with the revelation that you have given and recognize, God, that when we take that step, you embrace us. And that, Lord, we can know real faith as we take a step towards you. Lord, I pray for Christians here tonight that they'd take a step toward you as your spirit is ticking. God, as our time is becoming shorter and shorter every day, let us make the most of the opportunity that you've given us. Lord, I pray for next weekend for grand opening. <clears throat> as, Lord, hundreds of people will be here who maybe don't know Christ, who've been away from Christ. Lord, and I pray that people in this room would take it upon themselves to let that be a step that they take. If they already know Christ, to say, God, I want you to use me. And God, I'm willing to do something as simple as invite. I'll get on my email account. I'll get on my Facebook account. I'll get on my Twitter account. I'll Instagram the invitation. God, I will do it. I'll take that step because I believe. I believe that you are the God of the universe and that Jesus Christ can forgive sin and that salvation is to all who receive and that I care and I believe and Lord so I'll take that step maybe you need to take a step and say God I just need to believe tonight I need to come to you I, I want to put my faith and trust in you Jesus as my Lord and Savior whatever God is calling you to do would you take a step toward him tonight if your faith is real God is speaking the question is Respond.